0: It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. Yep, that's right. Again, the old doctor's left to his own devices as the lovely nurse Amy is swamped with orders for personal protection gear. I know it's a good cause and that hundreds of you guys have more pandemic stuff than you did before, thanks to her. But she's working as hard as she can in our mystical warehouse of wonder. But don't feel bad for me. I have my other significant other in the famous African gray parrot, T.D. Bird, here today with us instead of Amy. T.D.'s been with me since she was in the egg 33 years ago. So if you hear a squawk like that or a mumble or a whistle, pay no attention. It's probably her. But I don't know, it could be me (laughs) And without further ado, humans, friends, and neighbors Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast A cabin you can count on, a yurt that won't give you hurt In a shelterless world I'm Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones Founder of Survival Top 50's reader's choice website Doomandbloom.net Your source for both medical education And an entire line of the best medical kits and supplies On the interweb. Now, some of the stuff here on this show is going to be outside the conventional medical wisdom. We'd like to keep our medical licenses, which we keep active, have kept active since the year 1980. So I have to tell you that all information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care. Whenever and wherever it is available In other words, don't listen to the rantings of some old coot That would make you some kind of prepper, I would think And you'd be out of style But ahead of everybody else by a mile If a disaster occurs So the latest viral epidemic has been given an official new name Now instead of being called 2019-nCoV It's now COVID-19 uh, World Health Organization officials wanted a name that doesn't refer to a geographic location, to animals, to an individual, or to a particular group of people. So I guess they'll be changing the name of the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918. That's going to be somewhere on the way, I would think, in the name of political correctness. That's actually okay because because that flu didn't start in Spain. It started in Asia. But now you know there's someone who's being paid a salary to come up with catchy names for viral epidemics. Unless you've been on safari to Zimbabwe for a couple of months, you probably know that there's an epidemic going on, mostly in China. I first reported on it briefly in my article, a new pneumonia on January 7th, wow, way back then, when there were only 16 known cases of the infection. Now there are about 60,000, about 1,400 people have died. That is, if you believe the Chinese government. It's obvious that there are several times the amount of cases going on over there. I'll tell you, I put the number likely to be well in the hundreds of thousands and could end up with millions of people getting sick, but most of them will be in China. How can I, some non-virologist who doesn't have his name on a bunch of articles in Infectious Disease Quarterly, say such a thing? It's outrageous. Hundreds of thousands? Millions? My gosh. Well, I'll tell you why. Simple. There are 15 cities or more that are under quarantine in China right now, and people... Report that normally crowded streets look like a ghost town. You know, that smart people are going to be distancing themselves from crowds in times of epidemic. So that means there are millions hiding in their homes. Of course, those who are sick with COVID-19, which is pretty darn contagious, well, you know, even some government hospitals prefer that people stay in their homes unless they can't breathe. Now, I believe this is okay because these people wouldn't go within a mile of a hospital unless exactly that happens. They just can't breathe. That occurs in only a minority of the people that are infected with the COVID-19 virus. Most will get better on their own without respiratory support, and that's exactly what these folks hiding in their homes are hoping for. These folks aren't being counted in the statistics because the authorities don't know about them. And that's assuming that the officials want to know about them at all, because saving face in China appears to be more important than fixing a problem. Another obstacle to getting clear numbers is the fact that there's a limit to how many tests are available at, for the virus at any one time. That's why the number of cases increased by just several thousands a day, a day for a while, because that was all the test materials that they had on that day. They're still limited in the number of tests they can do daily, but they added now another way to tell if you have coronavirus, another criteria. If x-rays find abnormalities in the lungs... Well, then they add that as a case. They have more x-ray machines there, apparently, than they have facilities that can test for COVID-19. So, when they change the criteria, the number of cases jumped by 15,000 in one day. And I think that you can see how statistics can be manipulated based on how you determine who's sick and who's not sick. Now, what about the death rate? It's now about 2% or so, but is that accurate? It could be much higher, but if it was, wouldn't there be a huge stench that couldn't be ignored in Wuhan and other communities that have thousands of people that are sick? Wouldn't there be entire streets that are littered with bodies? I mean, we haven't seen reports of this happening, even from YouTubers, although one or two bodies in the streets have been recorded. I've seen those videos as well, and I've seen the one about the emergency room where it looks like two or three people are, are dead and wrapped up. Well, so what you have here is hundreds of thousands, maybe millions in their home that are hiding out. Nobody's bringing out their dead. There's not human disposal trucks that drive by, uh, put together by the government so that you can bring out your dead. So it makes me think that the number of cases is very underestimated, very underestimated, but that the percent of those who die from COVID-19 might actually be a smaller percentage than that 2%. That's... Some good news. Now, well, there's some good news also for parents of small children. COVID-19 seems to be sparing them for the most part. Of the more than 60,000 people that it's infected, World Health Organization officials say the majority are over 40 years old, and it's hitting those with underlying health conditions like heart attacks or heart disease in general, uh, diabetes, things like that, and the elderly particularly hard. Increasing age increases the risk for death. From COVID-19 It even appears that over 80 is the highest risk factor This is from Dr. Maria van Kerkhove Head of uh, the World Health Organization's Emerging Disease Disease Unit Well, (laughs) when it comes to death I guess anyone over 80 is probably at greatest risk Even if they lived in a bubble But it's good news that kids are mostly spared Although I have read scattered reports of babies getting it even taking those into account, the average age is still 55 or so. Viral outbreaks, especially pandemics, are amazing in how they change history. It's likely that the Spanish flu in 1918 crippled the ability for both sides to fight during World War I. That might even have been a factor in ending what was called the war to end old war, all wars. In economics, the sudden emergence of uh, sudden acute respiratory syndrome, a cousin to COVID-19, And the response of people to stay away from crowded areas like malls, well, that may have led the way for huge online shopping conglomerates like Alibaba in China. It appears that the economy in Chinese cities, which used to be going down to the market yourself and physically getting the item, is now turning to e-commerce. So big social changes may be occurring as a result of COVID-19, at least among those who survive it. Hong Kong has taken economic action as well. They're giving one-time subsidies for people, including construction workers, security guards, janitors, people like that, to help them buy protective equipment. They're also issuing subsidies to hard-hit businesses like giving 10,000 bucks to licensed travel agencies, well, I'm sure they're badly hit, uh, smaller restaurants and retailers as well as several hundred, even to street vendors. Uh, They're giving $25,000 to licensed restaurants and factory commissaries and a further several hundred dollars to about 200,000 low-income families. The question about coronavirus is, is it going to be the next pandemic or not? Or is it already the next pandemic? Certain strains of coronavirus are thought to be responsible for up to 15 to 20 percent or maybe more of all cases of the common cold. That's pretty pandemic in nature, I think. A pandemic has to have community-wide outbreaks in two different regions to reach World Health Organization's alert level 6, the pandemic level. Well, the largest outbreak that's community-wide is 216 cases, and that's on a cruise ship that's carrying about 1,700 passengers. It's called the Diamond Princess, and at present, it's under quarantine in Yokohama, Japan. So I guess, since a cruise ship can go anywhere that it wants, That it meets the definition for pandemic As long as it's sailing somewhere other than the Chinese coast So although health officials are loath to label COVID-19 as a pandemic By definition it probably is since you have a mobile community Having a major outbreak And what can I tell you Elsewhere, people traveling from China to their home countries Have given uh, the virus to spouses and other close contacts but rapid quarantine seems to be decreasing the number of cases that spread out from there. In the U.S., we're about, I think we have about 15 cases or so in the entire country. These folks are being quarantined pretty strictly. That's different, by the way, from our original response to the Ebola virus, less contagious, but very highly lethal. I remember the case of a nurse from Maine who was working in West Africa during the Ebola epidemic. When she returned home, she was told to quarantine herself. And you know what she did? She just plain refused and went out On her bicycle into town every day I think it was even taken to court And the judge said it was within her rights To refuse quarantine Since she didn't have symptoms At what point do we enforce quarantine For folks like this There have been about 1700 medical personnel Infected by COVID-19 Although to date only about 6 have died But I think it's going to be a big issue When people that are helping out medically If they return to the United States What do we do with them and what are their rights. Oftentimes public policy and individual rights are at loggerheads with each other. We have to make a decision as to what makes sense. I want to talk a little bit about coronavirus in animals. I was given a question yesterday by one of our readers that asked me to talk about this. I had actually mentioned these in a video that I put up last week. but I received so much negative feedback from people who think that the virus was deliberately released from a high-level laboratory in Wuhan, China, that I decided to take it down. It was triggering triggering all sorts of folks. Well, guys, you know what? Maybe that did happen. I'm not saying, or didn't say anything in the video that denied that as a possibility, but coronavirus is well known to occur in animals and that it has made its way to humans. I think that, indeed, that is the most likely thing that occurs, but sure enough... An accidental release of a virus can certainly occur from a high-level laboratory. Coronavirus is a highly infectious intestinal infection, not a respiratory infection, but intestinal infection in dogs, especially puppies. Coronavirus is usually pretty short-lived, but it may cause considerable abdominal comfort, discomfort for a few days in infected dogs. Rarely, it could be so severe as to kill a puppy. Most cases of canine coronavirus are spread by oral contact with infected fecal matter. A dog may also become infected by eating from contaminated food bowls or from direct contact with another infected dog. Dog parks may be a source of infection. Now, to answer a specific question by a reader, although viruses can get on fur, in dogs the source would be fecal matter that got on the hair, not just... Viruses that wound up floating in the air That wound up getting on the hair Close contact could pass it from dog to dog Or maybe to cat from cat to cat But it doesn't appear that dog or cat coronaviruses Will transmit to humans So from that standpoint You're generally okay Otherwise, I don't think that the amount of virus That would get on fur From non-fecal sources Would probably be enough to cause major infection The most typical Uh, By the way, I'm not a veterinarian The most typical symptom in dogs is an explosive diarrhea Typically sudden in onset Well, that'll get it on the fur, right? Which may be accompanied by lethargy and decreased appetite Basically, listless dog that doesn't want to eat The stool smells really bad Has a yellow-green or orange tint to it And may contain some blood or mucus The incubation period from ingestion to clinical signs of, of Coronavirus infection is about one to four days And the duration of the illness is about two to ten days in most dogs Secondary infections by bacteria, however Or parasites Can develop and make the illness Recovery much more complicated And could kill the dog Dogs can be carriers, by the way For coronavirus for up to six months after infection Another coronavirus that occurs in cats Is called feline infectious peritonitis. Some people think that it's a different disease that's caused by the weakness that coronavirus, is, uh, coronavirus may elicit, but other people believe that it is the coronavirus by itself. This is seen in cats, and it carries a higher mortality because it's very aggressive and non-responsive to, let's say, the, the major symptoms, fever, which will cause dehydration along with other complications. This disease is relatively high in multi-cat households as composed to those that have just a single cat uh, symptoms of uh, feline infectious peritonitis FIP uh, depends on the strain of virus involved the status of the cat's immune system and the organs that are affected there are two forms a wet form which targets body cavities and a dry form which targets specific organs the wet form tends to progress more rapidly than the dry form in any case You'll see the cat's coat become rough and dull. The cat become increasingly lethargic and depressed. Uh, diarrhea and fever are common symptoms. And some cats experience liver dysfunction leading to jaundice. Uh, the only way to treat these in both cats and dogs is supportive therapy and fluids to prevent dehydration. I think that's uh, a no-brainer. You definitely are going to see these animals get dehydrated. You've got to fix that. Now, if you were in Wuhan, China, and you wanted some nice fresh seafood, the place to go was the Huanan Seafood Market. Indeed, freshness is so important to most Chinese that even small stores have aquariums where people can pick out dinner while it's still swimming around. A thorough walkthrough of the seafood market, however, made it obvious that there's a lot more than fish for sale. If you know where to look, you can find a nice fat beaver or porcupine. Snakes are available, as well as all sorts of other creatures Cuteness, by the way, not a defense, wolf pups, and even koala bears are on the menu. You pick one out, you see it slaughtered. That's why local slang for these establishments is live or warm markets. They're also known as wet markets because of the large volume of water that's needed to wash off all the butchered animal products off of the floor. In addition to these exotic animals, there are also bats. Bats are natural reservoirs for the coronavirus they're used in traditional Chinese medicine. It's believed that a bat or some middleman animal from the Hunan market started the entire epidemic. Now, that is the theory that is most accepted. Sure enough, there is a possibility that it could have been some kind of virus released accidentally by a lab, or deliberately, who knows. The SARS outbreak in 2003, however, was traced to bats and then to civet cats. By the way, they're not cats, so they just, they look actually like the body of a cat with the face of a ferret. Well, these are animals sold in a live animal market where bats were also available, and so they think that the SARS outbreak may have begun there. Some studies suggest that the intermediate host was a snake. The Journal of Medical Virology suggests the snakes were susceptible to harbor COVID-19. For an animal without legs, it makes an unlikely jumping-off point, but it's possible. There's also a huge market for an animal called a pangolin, P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N, which reminds me of an anteater with scaly armor. Now, is the Chinese obsession with live bushmeat the reason for the advent of a new pandemic? Eating wild animals is a pretty expensive delicacy, but it's thought to have medicinal benefits, maybe a status symbol. One Chinese health expert said that this is just part of Chinese culture. They love to eat anything alive. That's his quote. Eating wild animals is risky business because you can't ever ensure they're completely free of disease. It's thought that eating bushmeat was the, need the cause of the 2014 Ebola epidemic in West Africa. Fruit bats were the culprit there, and sure enough, they would cook them over 55-gallon drums, therefore making it impossible to be sure that they're cooked thoroughly. It's possible that patient zero, which was a toddler from southwestern Guinea, might have been... Infected by touching or ingesting bat droppings instead of necessarily eating bat meat. It may never be proven whether a particular live market meat purchase started the COVID-19 epidemic. That's possible, and we know that there are other theories, but we have to be cautious about condemning local cultural practices. At least that's what political correctness tells us. Still, think about the mixture of urine feces and blood from butchered animals just permeating an entire area you can see how easy it would be for disease causing organisms to thrive in such an environment well that's all i have for this time i want to thank you for listening to the survival medicine podcast with joe alton and amy alton she'll be back here someday and we will see you next time thanks for listening